History happened everywhere, a random place, a random time, and a topic pulled from the hat. The challenge, one of us to go away and find out all that we can about those things before coming back and telling the other. You're listening to... History happened everywhere. And welcome to History Happened Everywhere. I'm Ryan Weir, uh, a co-host with the second most. most. <laughs> <laughs> the co-host with the co-most? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's me. It's Ryan. Hello. Uh, I'm here in the studio with Pete, Mr. Hello. Pete Goddard. Hello, hello, hello. How you doing, buddy? I am well. I have had a new garden fitted. Do you have a garden fitted? Yes. Laid, put in? Laid, like um, a carpet. Exactly. I've had a garden installed, and they put down some new turf. Right. You know, like you get those little rolls of turf. Hmm. And then they said to me, water it every day. And okay. I thought, well, that's straightforward enough, right, as in yeah. instructions go. And then the very first day, I went out with my little hose, and then I suddenly You're not urinating on it, are you? No, Is that no. What, you meant by little hose? what became clear to me was that I have no idea how much you're supposed to water a lawn. Well, I figured like, well, rain it rains a lot on ground, right? And it does. so I'm trying to reproduce rain. Is that what I'm yeah. trying to do? Your own little ecosphere. Yeah. So I'm stood out there like, with my hose, just thinking, when can I stop? Very suburban. Oh, mate, I'm into the middle-aged, middle-class community. Yeah, what's next? Shed. Shed <laughs> with tools. Exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of gadgets and tools, though, for the garden, which like, draws me in. Hedge, hedge trimmers, hedge clippers, ride-on lawnmowers. Ride-on lawnmower. A friend of mine bought a robo-mower. Lawnmower, yeah. Did he give it a name? Uh, no. That's disappointing. I I'd like to think that if I owned a robot, I would at least give it the dignity of a name. I feel like maybe they'll do a podcast one day. Siri and Alexa. Yeah, tell me about East <laughs> Timor. We could automate this whole thing. <laughs> at least they get it right. Like yeah. Us. Okay, well, enough of this nonsense. I want to hear more about your nonsense for this week. <laughs> no nonsense, sir. All pure, high-grade, military standard facts, figures and stories. Wow. I'm sorry, you actually sold me. I've I'm oversold in. it. I regret immediately <laughs> no, no, having that. too late. <laughs> <laughs> right, I can't remember what it was that you're going to be talking about this week, so why don't we hit that rewind button? Yep, let's get in the hot tub time machine. That's why I'm in my trunks. Well, that's why you're in your trunks. Well, it's one of the reasons I'm in my trunks. If you're in your trunks, why are you then greased up with bronzer? And a little goose fat. It's for insulation, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> right, let's hit the rewind. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. I'm bringing up the doors later. Okay, right. So, Pete, are you ready? I am ready. Okay, doors later is primed, it's pumped, it's gassed. Right, <laughs> pull the crank, wind okay. the pulley. And your country is... Oh, this is the first time we've had this. Because this is wild card. I get to choose the country. You get to choose the country. Do I have to choose it now, though? Yes. Oh. 30 seconds, ready? Okay, okay. Go. Russia. Whoa. All right, Russia it is. All right, let's find out what time. And the time is 
the early Middle Ages. Ooh, 476 to 1000 AD. Okay, and uh, your topic? Something extravagant. It's equality. Equality. Ooh. Neat, I like that. So Russia in the early Middle Ages between 476 to 1000, and it's equality. Okay, wow. So Russia. Mother Russia. Mother Russia. It's exciting. Yeah, I'm Check looking forward out. to it. It's going to be good. I, I mean, I know some things about Russia because, like, obviously it's played a, a small role in cultural life that yeah. I've led. It pops up from time to time, doesn't it? It in does. In the news landscape. <laughs> I can't tell you that I know anything about it during this time period, though. Well, that's how I felt just two weeks ago. Yeah. Okay, well, why don't you orient me? Because I have, I've, I've not even heard of this place. <laughs> this place, Russia. The Russia. The Russia? Yes, Russia. It's pronounced Is it Russia. the People's Republic of Russia? Uh, the Russian Federation, actually. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, it is. Uh, and um, you will find that it is big. Is it? Really big. That's funny, because you'd think I'd have noted it then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the, how it's <laughs> got off your radar, I don't know, because... Uh, how many Frances to a Russia would you would you think? Oh, many. I'm going to go with 20. 31. Whoa, that's a lot of France. Oh, let me put it another way. There were two Europes to a Russia. No way. <laughs> For real, two Europes. <laughs> yeah. Dang. So basically, it's on, on a sort of standard map, if you will, that's oriented from Greenwich in the middle. The top right-hand corner of your map, stretching from Finland, Estonia, Latvia on the left-hand side, on the uh, western side, yeah, all the way over to Japan and Alaska on the other side, uh-huh. that's your Russia right there. Right at the top. It's more than an eighth of the Earth's inhabited land area. Wow. An eighth? Yeah. Okay. How and, much? I mean, when you say inhabited, though. Well, exactly. That's a really good point because um, there are a lot of people there, but not nearly as many as you'd think for some place that's so vast. 142 million people, which is what, three times what the UK's got in it? Yeah, it's it's bloody massive. There's a load of people, but uh, a lot of it's Siberia, it's cold, it's, there's mountains, there's tundra. Yeah. Uh, so not actually as many people as you might expect for that kind of uh, volume of geography. It's famous for a lot of things. Uh, I'm going to name a few, which are big furry hats, vodka, ballet, communism, vodka. Undermining democracy, caviar, vodka, onion domes, trying to kill James Bond, and vodka. Trying to kill James Bond? Yeah, they're always trying to kill James Bond, aren't the, they? The Russians. Yeah. Yeah, spies in general, right? Exactly. That Cold War thing. Yes, the Cold War is a big part of Russian history, although arguably at that point it wasn't Russia, it was part of the Soviet Union. It wasn't oh, a country at that time. Good point. So geographically, it's got tundra. It's a lot of flat stuff, basically. It, it does have the Ural Mountains, so there's mountainous bits, there's a huge arctic bits that are kind of flat this is tundra i mean you would expect with an area that large that it's going to have pretty much everything Bit right? of everything yeah exactly so there's there's also a thing called a taiga t-a-i-g-a which is a swampy coniferous forest a swampy coniferous forest not carnivorous coniferous oh right <laughs> it's like wow it's, <laughs> yeah it's got christmas trees and not trees that eat you that's a totally different concept okay all right I was thinking like those Venus flytrap things. Can you imagine a whole forest of that mm. stuff snapping at you? Well, it's a relatively hostile place in many ways, but not in that particular way. Okay. Uh, now, that's really all I'm going to say about Russia, because you know what Russia is, right? Everyone knows what Russia is. So I'll tell you a little bit about our period. We've got 476, which is the exact year that we left off uh, last time From East in Timor. The East Timor. Yeah, that's right. 476 is, AD. And that's the end of the Western Roman Empire. That's why this is yeah. a, a significant date 
um, why it was the end of the classical period and the beginning of what is the early middle ages is what okay early middle ages yeah so our period is 476 to 1000 which is the early middle ages Mm -hmm. it has a couple of other names one of which you will probably recognize which is the dark ages yes i've heard of that yes the dark ages we don't really say anymore apparently because it's a little bit implies that they are dark in the sense of being negative whereas there are two interpretations of what people meant by the dark ages one is a between civilizations period where everything was a bit tribal and nasty and backwards which is the negative interpretation which is why people don't generally use it anymore but the other reason the dark ages was used was because there wasn't much record keeping so it's dark in the sense we don't really know what happened okay and this is why this was a quite a challenging time to try and investigate because they're the dark ages because we don't know what happened (laughs) yeah sure yeah if there's no records being kept why did that suddenly stop because of the romans no the romans ended so this is after romans yeah then there's a low basically a load of tribes were only roaming around europe fighting each other and uh, And not writing it down not writing anything down okay dear diary Uh, i I don't know exactly what happened on defeat the the hordes (laughs) today i invaded rome it was fun we won (laughs) yay Hey, Pete. Hey, Ryan. Why are you wearing chainmail? Well, it's part of my armour, isn't it? Armour? Yeah, I've been doing medieval reenactments. What, like battles and stuff? Exactly that. I get dressed up, head down to the field, then I just start throwing ducks around. Wait, what do you mean throwing ducks around? Well, I'm I'm reenacting the Duck Ages, isn't it? What, you mean the Dark Ages? What? The Dark Ages, not the Duck Ages. Yeah, yeah, now you say it, that does make more sense. Yeah. But I do like throwing ducks around. Yeah, it does sound fun. Yeah, can I have a go? Well, have you got a duck? No, but I have got a lark. We could do the lark ages. Oh, don't be silly, Ryan. That doesn't work at all. Oh, well, then I've only got a swan or an eagle. Oh, that's perfect. We'll start with the duck ages, go through the medieval's, and finish with the renaissance. Nice! Yeah, so not a lot of diaries of the barbarian people, but... It's also known as the Migration Period, because in this period, a lot of the so-called barbarian people, Huns, Goths, Vandals, Bulgars, Alani, and Franks, Mm -hmm. all these different tribes are basically running around, taking bits of land and fighting with each other. uh, And it's all a bit of a mess from a historian's point of view. Okay. That sounds kind of fun, though. Sounds like there's lots happening. Oh, there's a great deal happening, but we don't know what it was. (laughs) Okay. Then how do we know it was happening? Uh, I'm just assuming because, well, they, there are obviously there's archaeology, but what there isn't is history. If you mm. define history as things written down, and archaeology tells you what occurred, slightly different things. But uh, we'll talk a little bit about that notion of history and the problems this period brings us. I always wanted to be an archaeologist. Because you enjoy fragments of pottery? Yeah, and d- digging in the dirt. <laughs> 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 I, I like it. I, I, I think it's uh, meditative. Could you imagine just having like a whole little bit of grass you've got to dig down into and you find a layer and you've got to scrape away at it with a toothbrush really slowly and just slowly reveal like this gold amulet worn by someone thousand years ago. Honestly, that whole description of just gradually brushing, mm. th- that was making me anxious. <laughs> <laughs> Do not like that at all. I'm so impatient. I'll be going yeah. at it with a pickaxe and going, it looks like there used to be a pot here, but someone <laughs> smashed it to buggery with a pickaxe. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I would not last long in the archaeology pit. I can assure you of that. Yeah. <laughs> so there's other stuff going on in the world here. Muhammad is around in the early 600s, doing his thing in around Mecca. Okay. Uh, inspiring certain religions uh in 794 so again we're going from about 600 to a thousand here yeah kyoto is founded so they've moved the capital of japan from tokyo to kyoto which i did not why, know that yeah so kyoto and tokyo 
are both made, if you look at the names, they're the same characters. They both mean Eastern capital. So oh, yeah. Tokyo and Kyoto are Wait, just how the have same I never words reversed. That? Why did they do that? They moved the capital, right? Why did they move the capital? Oh, people always move capitals, don't they? I don't know why they moved it. To okay, I mean, Kyoto, I guess we'd but... need to wait until the Japan episode of history happened yeah, exactly. to find out. But Usually a new king slash, in this case, emperor, does that kind of thing to suit themselves, generally. Yeah. Can I ask the internet? Yeah, why not? All right, let's find out. Uh, internet, why is... Why did Kyoto move to Tokyo? Let's try this. Internet, <laughs> why did the capital of Japan move from Tokyo to Kyoto? I think that's what I said. More or less. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. This is the voice of the internet. Kyoto is one of the oldest cities in Japan and was the capital city for more than a millennium. Since the early 17th century, however, actual political power had been concentrated in a larger, more commercial city called Edo. Edo was where the shogun's main residence was held and all important political decisions were made too. After the end of the Boshin War in 1869, Edo was formally made the capital city, and officially renamed as Tokyo meaning Eastern Capital. Thank you. Oh right. See, that was interesting. You should be more like the internet. I really, if I knew everything the internet knew, yeah. I would be quidditch. Filthy. I'd That's what you'd really be. good at pub quizzes. <laughs> So 851 AD, some Danish Vikings sack London. Uh, but in 878, Alfred the Great beats the Danes, also Vikings. Yay, Alfred the Great. So we've got Vikings and Alfred the Great who burnt the cakes famously. Uh, and also... Oh, wait, in, what? Burnt the cakes? Did they not teach you... He's a chef. School? No, famously he was... Is he like Ho Chi Minh? <laughs> he was not a chef, no. quite. Fa- he was hiding, I think, in a in a house. And he was supposed to look after some cakes, but he let them burn. Because he was the king and didn't know how to look after cakes. Um, yeah, he's probably going, well, someone should do something about that, <laughs> but I'm a king, so I'm just going <laughs> to let them burn. <laughs> oh, and then people found them because of the burning cakes? No, I don't think there's any really a lot more to it than he let the cakes burn. And that That's story survived? It's a fa- I can't believe you didn't learn it. Well, I can't believe I didn't learn enough about it to tell it very well. But yeah. That's a whole other thing. Let's, uh, Let's move on yeah. or come off. Yeah, all right. Um, but in the 900s, the Ghana Empire, remember we talked about the Ghana Empire before, which is not in Ghana <laughs> as it is today. It's sort of yeah. in uh, Western Africa. Oh, it moved. Well, it's, I don't exactly, well, again, this is one to wait till we get Ghana at, uh, as, yeah, as history happened everywhere. But yeah, there is a Ghana Empire, which is in West, was in West Africa, but not actually where Ghana is today. Okay. Uh, But those are some things that are going on during this time around the rest of the world. So we tend to think, don't we, that European history is the only history, but there's plenty going on elsewhere for sure. Well, given that, yeah, we grew up in Europe, it does tend to be focused around where you are. They do. Okay. Right. Cool. Sounds good. I am, I'm sort of oriented, although the world is shifted around (laughs) from the places I thought it was to where it is now. Nothing is quite in its place. And some cakes have burned. (laughs) I get it. I'm well placed now for Russia. So let's let's talk a little bit about Russia in particular. So the East Slavs are emerging at this time in a, as a recognisable group in Europe. This is between the third and the eighth centuries. And what is a Slav? Uh, I'm going to tell you okay. exactly that a right. little bit later. Okay, cool. Um, but Eastern European people is a shorthand for right now. Fine. So the medieval state of Rus arose yeah. in that was a significant look for us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is obviously relevant to us um arises in the 800s to about a thousand so that's our period and our people the nice. rus 800 to thousand that's what we're going to be looking at spell today. r-u-s yep okay now after that the rus state kind of falls apart there's a bunch of feudal states bickering as uh, dark ages people were doing 
Uh, then Russia comes together again in the 1400s as the Grand Duchy of Moscow, also known as Muscovite Rus mm. or Muscovite Russia. I think um, I knew a guy down the pub called Muscovite Rus. It does sound like someone who would sell you hey, a stereo. Russ. <laughs> the Mus- brother. <laughs> Muscovite Rus can give you a good deal on some uh, dodgy vodka. Dodgy vodka, yeah. Uh, but this was a vassal state to the Mongols. The Mongols in the 13th century are running around, including the Russian area and various other places. They had a huge empire. But Russia was basically kind of let to get on with things. They weren't. The Mongols didn't occupy in a colonial way. They just created vassal states. So Russia's starting to exist. By the 1800s, Russia really is a, a force to be reckoned with. It becomes the Russian Empire, which is the third largest empire in history. Okay. It's in the 1800s. And that does that just like... What, what was, it wasn't an empire before? It, over time, it's grown. And it I'm, just I'm just trying to give you a whistle-stop what yeah, happens yeah, with yeah. Russia. So it, it, it gets its act together. It's, it starts out as a vassal state of the Mongols, but eventually the Mongols go away, things change. It starts getting a bit uh, aggro with other areas and becomes the Russian Empire. Okay. By the start of the 20th century, the Russia, Russia is obviously a force to be reckoned with, but things aren't looking so good at then. They don't do very well in the Great War, uh, or the First World War, if you will. Mm. So then they have a revolution in 1917. I think I've famously, heard of that. The Russian Revolution, yeah. 1917, makes it the very first constitutionally socialist state. The very first constitutionally what? Socialist state. Socialist state. Yeah. Okay. Uh, by 1922, though, Russia stops being a country again. I'm not exactly sure what the sort of definitions of when you're a country and when you're not a country, because the Soviet Union is created in 1922. That's right. Russia, Transcaucasus. Ukraine, Belarusian Republic. So then you've got actually four countries, create four or five countries creating the, the Soviet Union. Like Europe. Yeah, like the European this is where Union. I'm not sure exactly where, what counts as a country at this point. So it's like Russia is a state, but it's not. But Soviet Union is a, is it a block? Is it a country? I'm okay. not sure. I'm sure Paul Dursley could tell us. Um, but anyway, if World War II happens, at, at the beginning of World War II, Russia and the Germany have a non-aggression pact. That doesn't work out great. And eventually the Soviet Union actually ends up on the side of the Allies. The Allies win World War II at huge cost to the Soviet Union. Immediately after World War II, the Soviet Union's roaming across Europe, grabbing as much land as it can, essentially, and absorbing nations into the Soviet Union. And all the way up to East Germany, Poland, Bulgaria, Hungary, all these places get uh, absorbed into the Soviet Union. Because Germany just collapsed in on itself so they just took over all that area yeah so this was the big race to germany was from the western allies point of view was to prevent the soviet union spreading itself too far because of the ideological difference between the communist soviets and the capitalist west yeah okay so then you get into cold war space race nuclear arms rocky four star wars star wars indeed the um the space defense program exactly ronald reagan's famously failed program so probably not the best example but uh right eventually the soviet union starts to crumble over its own under its own weight gorbachev in the 80s introduced glasnost which is uh, openness and transparency so freedom more freedom with the press and information and perestroika which is reform basically so the soviet union in 1991 is dissolved and now russia's back to being just russia right gosh it's a lot happening yeah, so, but this is why, weirdly, sort of Russia and the Soviet Union, whilst they are absolutely not the same thing, Russia was always the dominant force in the Soviet Union. In 1994, they actually inherited the Soviet Union's entire nuclear arsenal. So it gives you a rough idea of there was 
Russia and Georgia and Poland and Hungary and uh, Slovenia and Slovakia and all of those I were in see. the Eastern Bloc. But Russia got all the nukes. Russia was the driving force of the Soviet Union. Which had left all the others without any. Yeah. Okay. Also, they had a program. If you go to the Baltic states, what you'll find is there's large populations of Russian, ethnically Russian people mm. and populations of ethnically uh, Estonian, Latvian, Lithuanian people. That was because Russia also embarked on a program of what was called Russification in those areas, which meant basically sending Russian people into those states mm. to a kind of be part of the population, but also they had preferable status. So you couldn't get a good job if you were ethnically Lithuanian, but you could if you were ethnically Russian. Wow. Okay. So to this day, you will find quite significant divisions between ethnically Russian and ethnically local people i can only imagine that that ingratiated them to the local people yeah i mean it's problematic even now Mm. it's uh, quite an interesting division but anyway that's not what we're talking about today no so i am going to tell you though uh so that's russia that was me telling you just kind of russia to bring us up to date to figure out what happened after what i'm going to tell you now sure because i'm going way back to the beginning i love it let's um let's listen to the uh, national anthem Oh, yeah, let's have a right. Ready? I'm going to expect martial music. Well, which one do you want? Do you want Russia? Yeah. We should have Fe- Russia, Russian right? Federation, Not please. Russia Federation National Anthem. How did that make you feel? Uh, Patriotic? I'm not ready to invade another smaller, weaker state. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, right. So now now I've, I've got to tell you, Ryan, I have a problem. Or I had a problem, which okay. I've resolved in do a way. Do you really want to talk about this on the podcast? I do. I do. Because like, we don't have to. We could turn the mics off if you want. <laughs> so do you remember when we talked about Uruguay? Uh, yes. We actually spent a lot of time talking about Argentina and Brazil. We did. Particularly Argentina, because at that time, there was no Uruguay. There was sure. the vice royalty of Rio de la Plata. Which, which then turned into, things, yeah, right? turned into it later. We have a very similar problem with Russia today. Okay. Because the early history of Russia is also the history of Belarus and Ukraine. Is it now? It is. Okay. So just to make sure I was okay with what I'm about to do today. Okay. Uh, I did check um, with the LinkedIn forum about historians. Uh-huh. And I said, I'm looking at the history of Russia. And the first question back was, what do you mean by Russia? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go with my instincts and I'm going to follow the people who put the Rus into russia okay i like that that's cool i mean that this is the early middle ages right exactly so what i'm going to look at is a period from about 882 to a thousand uh and this was actually a period known as kievan rus okay and that is because it's mostly based around kiev which is in ukraine today okay but it was in rus then. it was rus it was kievan rus this is the okay. beginnings of russia right but the, what basically happened so it wasn't called the ukraine then no not at all oh, well then that's fine yes you tell that to paul dursley i will <laughs> i will tell him i'll tell him so more or less what we're going to talk about today is the western area that is very far west russia which is where you'll find moscow and st petersburg and novgorod and but it also encompasses belarus and uh 
Ukraine. Okay, sounds good. That's what's happening. Tell me about it. But I'm still rambling because I'm also going to tell you one of the problems I have. Now, my topic is equality. It is, yeah. Right? Now, there is a famous saying that history is written by the winners. Yeah, heard that. Now, that is very much a problem that we have today because what I'm going to really be telling you today is the story of a single book. Okay. Is it the Bible? No, no. It's a book called The Russian Primary Chronicles. Right. Also known as, this one I like, The Tale of Bygone Years, also known as The Russian Primary Latopis. Wow. I mean, none of these words have meant anything to me so far. Right. Well, I'll tell you what a latopis is. <laughs> it's going to lead to some weirdness, but a latopis is a history. So the okay. latopis is a history. Latopis happened everywhere. Yes. And my investigations told me that it's not a chronicle or an annal. See, this is confusing. Why call it that then? <laughs> Stupid book. So I, do, I did not know that a chronicle and an annal are different things. I mean, I think if anyone were to ask me, I wouldn't have even known. No, neither neither did I. I think practically there isn't really a difference. But actually, a chronicle is a sequence of things that you describe. So you say, in 1972, Bob did this. And then in 1973, he did this. And then he did some other things okay. that put you into 1974 and 5. An annal is like an index where you go, year X, these things happened. Year X plus one, these things happened. Those year things sound two. the same to me, what you've just described. Well, one's a, more of a narrative and the other one is a catalogue, if you Okay, know. right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So a latopis is not those things because it's, it includes a bit more myth and a bit more fiction and it's a bit more oh. fast and loose, shall we say. Okay. And who is it normally written by? So I, I think you're really talking about monks at this point because yeah. who's writing stuff down in the early Middle Ages and specifically the Russian primary chronicle where all of this information I'm going to share with you today comes from. It was written by a monk called Nestor, they say. Nestor. Nestor. Okay. But actually, historians say, actually, it's just compiled from loads of different monks. As ever, these, there's an element of myth and, and fiction to these things. Part of our problem is no actual original copy of the Russian Primary Chronicles exists today. This is very confusing. So how do we know it existed? Because there are codexes, which are basically later books that refer to, to it. So oh, okay. rewrites from about 100 years later. So if I were to find this book, would I be... In for a lot of money. You absolutely would, I would imagine. You'd wow. be doing very well, sir. I want to find that book. Indiana Jones and the... The Russian Primary Chronicle. That's the name of the next film. Not Indiana the... Jones and the Russian Prime Chronicle edition. What Russian was it? Primary Chronicles. Russian Primary... Con- right. Indiana Jones and the Russian Primary Chronicles. Box office gold, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Wheel out Harrison Ford. So yeah, to talk equality for a moment, this is one guy's book written to satisfy whoever he is trying to impress. Uh, and we will, it will become very clear as we do this that the, he's trying to establish a certain legitimacy of a certain line of people. Okay. So how so, true is this? So this, this, this monk may have been paid by some wealthy person to write a history glorifying his lineage. Yeah, I think it's more glorifying christianity so it tends to focus on the people who were christian but also it legitimizes much as any king tends to say i descended from the gods yeah yeah. there's a similar kind of thing going on here which will become clear when i start but it also includes other elements of history as well like stuff that was happening at the time yeah so it it, it's it's literally history and they will say these then there was a treaty between these people and these people so it's it's a real history but it's history with a slant it is not to to talk equality it's not everybody's story fairly told right and yes okay so we're also going to be talking a bit about slavs so i just want to kind of introduce slavs you you asked what a slav was earlier i did yeah so uh, slavs are an ethno-linguistic group 
So that means they are... Ethno-linguistic. Yeah, right. so that's both... Uh, they're ethnically similar, but also they have share a similar language. Okay, right. Yeah, all right. So, so they're can, not from the same country, but they speak the same language. They, I mean, they, they are sort of physically similar, if you, if you like, but also share a same language. So you have, may have fundamentally many people who share ethnic characteristics, but have very different linguistic characteristics okay right so there are east slavs west slavs and south slavs i couldn't find any north slavs yeah where's the north ones i think the vikings ate them (laughs) that would be my assumption Typically, they're Christians, Eastern Orthodox Church, which comes out of Byzantium, Constantinople, which right. we've talked about Which before. was the second Rome. The second Rome, exactly. The Eastern Roman Empire. I'm learning things. Right. So there are some Southern Slav Muslims, the Bosniaks, which were, if you remember the, the horrors of the Bosnian War, it was a lot of ethnic cleansing going on because there were Muslims and non-Muslims. Okay, yeah. Um, but anyway, it's a group that really got around, around this whole Eastern European area around uh kiev poland all of these people they were they were everywhere migrating around and remember i said this period was called the great migration there's a lot of people traveling essentially in small tribes there's not a lot of towns there's not a lot of stuff being written down and there's a load of people wandering around essentially uh there are other tribes available in russia if you want there are the finno-ugric people oh who are they 
So the Finno-Ugric, they are, I think this is where the ethno-linguistic thing becomes useful because I think they are people who look fairly similar, but their language is wildly different. Okay. So if you if you go to Romania and then France and then England and then wherever, they all come from a quite Latin root. So there'll be things that sound familiar, but Finno-Ugric languages come from a completely different starting point. I think originating more in the sort of Indian side of life coming from the East. Oh, right. um, I was thinking Scando, Scandinavian. So Finnish sounds wildly different and it comes from a different route. Hungarian is wildly different as well. They come from these Finno-Ugric bases. Oh, okay. So that's why Hungarian is really difficult language to learn. Sure. Whereas German is you know, relatively straightforward in comparison. Yeah. So that's that's Slavs, that's what they are. So so let's go back to our book, The Russian Primary Chronicles, which does start very much at the beginning. And it traces our Slavs back to Noah. Oh, really? So again, remember, cool. it's written by a monk, so this is kind yeah. of your legitimacy thing. Like, these guys come from Noah, this really important guy. The sons of Noah were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Right. I thought the Slavs were going in two by two into the ark. <laughs> no, I don't think they're shal- They're not like giraffes. <laughs> right, okay. They are uh, people derived from Japheth in this case. Japheth was the, the guy from whom all the Slavs descended. Uh, and they settled, according to this book, in Hungary, in Bosnia, Croatia, Bulgaria. All that Eastern Europe area is where the, the Slavs ended after presumably getting off the boat, I assume. Yeah, I guess so. So just as a, a slight aside, they... But I mean, sorry, but Noah's Ark didn't, I mean, that didn't. That didn't really happen, did Well, it? that's a whole other episode. So no, no. But the flood is fairly, fairly plausible. The flood story appears in quite a lot of legends. Uh, so it's quite probable that there was a flood. So there was a flood. Right. Okay. Now, I'm just wondering how this gets linked to them. So at the big, fresh oh. off the bat, in terms of a historical document, there is a question over its legitimacy in terms of how much of it is true. Well, absolutely. And in fairness, the, the guy doesn't really try and trace a lineage. He just says they derived from Japheth. He's telling a story, right? Yeah. And he says they, they, were, they settled in Hungary, Bosnia, Croatia, Bulgaria. They were bullied by the Vlachs, the Volations, if you will, from Romania. They go elsewhere. So they split up into various groups. So what he's trying to do is say how all these tribes all derived from Japheth. Makes sense. Noah, right? Yep, it's how you set up your story. So the the one, the, they turn into three groups, one of which isn't particularly interesting, but one is is because one of the groups end up on the Vistula River and they are known as the Polyanians or the Poland. <laughs> oh, Poland. Yes. Where the Poles are from. Exactly, the Polands. So this the is, Polans. I think, where Poland and the Poles derive this uh, old tribe. Okay. So there's another group that go into Belarus, but the ones that are interesting set on, on the Dnieper River, and there's a couple of groups. There's a guy called people called the Drevlians, and they're <laughs> going to be important. Drevlians. And there's more groups of these Polyanians or Polans. So it's just a, an ethnic group, a sort of tribal group, if you will. And they're hanging around in Ukraine, northwest Russia, Belarus, that area. Okay. So what you've got is a load of tribal action going on. Drevlians are happening, and a bunch of other tribes. And we're going to take a moment, and we're going to look at the city of Novgorod. 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 It's a city. It's still a city today in northwest Russia. Okay. But before we go to Novgorod, I'm going to take another detour (laughs) because I know you're heavily lost at this point. (laughs) Yeah. And just talk about equality because uh, I'm going to come back to equality, gender equality particularly. Yeah. But there's a bunch of tribes, not all of whom are seen as equal by the, the Chronicle, for example. But more importantly, the genders were not perceived as equal. And I'll, there was a couple of quotes here to give you a sense of how that might have been. Okay, Doug. So when an Avar, which is a tribal group, made a journey, 
He did not cause either a horse or a steer to be harnessed, but gave command instead that three or four or five women should be yoked to his cart and made to draw him. Oh, wow. Okay. Equality. <laughs> this is my theme. Doesn't feel very equality. Right, no. Well, the Polyanians, this, this chronicler suggests, showed respect for their daughters-in-law and their sisters, as well as for their mothers and fathers. Mm. They observed a fixed custom under which the groom's brother did not fetch the bride, but she was brought to the bridegroom in the evening, and on the next morning her dowry was turned over. So these are the good guys, not the guys who are towed around by a group of five women mm. but even they are handing over the woman and handing over a dowry so again even in the best example equality is not massively in evidence yeah um and i'll give you one more group the radamichians right then the, the chronicle says this of them <laughs> this is totally irrelevant by the way i just want to say it no it's, it's fine hilarious I... when the people gathered together for games for dancing and for all other devilish amusements the men on these occasions carried off wives for themselves and each took any woman with whom he arrived at an understanding at an understanding right that i mean from the woman's perspective these guys sound like the best of the bunch at least you've got an understanding mm. i mean yoked to a, <laughs> a wagon <laughs> There seems to be consent involved here, at least, right? So, uh, oddly, even though they were supposed to be paganist nightmare, Mm. they sounded pretty good from the woman's perspective. But in any event, it doesn't sound amazing to be a woman in any of these situations. No. I wonder if there was like a level of hierarchy amongst those women that were yoked. Because you said five, so someone's up front. Someone's the front the front woman. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, this is a road I'm nervous to go down. <laughs> How would you harness women to your wagon? Probably best not to, in my advice. Welcome to the Female 500 here in Kevin Rus. I'm here with the winner of today's race, Svetlana GTX Turbo. Uh, your first championship title, how does it feel? Fantastic. I've always dreamed of being a race car since I was a little girl, so to cross that line today was a special moment. But this isn't just about me. That's right. Under the hood, it was a five-woman effort today. Yes, all the girls gave 110%. I'm proud of them all. Obviously, we took a risk when we made an early pit stop, but we had to swap Natasha out because she developed a nasty blister, and that did cost us some time. Yes, it was a long race, but uh, you're looking fresh. Well, our refueling strategy was to hold out as long as possible, but we did split a bag of chips when we really needed it. Yeah, you faced a lot of criticism before the race when you opted for high heel footwear. Yes, but I think the race proved us right in the end. The heels just gave us extra grip as we went through the chicane. Disappointing to see Team Drevelin crash out so early, though. Uh, that must have made things a bit easier for you. Well, that's the game, Murray. So, you know, our thoughts do go out to the girls. They've worked really hard this year and they're a great vehicle. But at this level, all it takes is one mistake and you're out. That's woman racing. Yes, well, I understand it's just light body damage, so hopefully they'll be patched up and back on the track soon. That's great to hear, Murray. But the trophy is yours today, so I won't keep you from the celebrations. I can see the girls have the champagne ready. Yes, we'll be partying tonight, but back in training tomorrow. Thank you, Murray. Thank you, Svetlana GTX Turbo. And thank you for watching Slavic Speedway. Coming up next, drag racing. But now we're going to move into Dynasty, Russian style. Oh, okay, cool. Right. Dynasty is in like what? The TV show? Well, both the TV show, which is also about a family of people who have power and it goes through the generations, which is what we're about to do. Nice. Buckle up, buddy. Okay. (laughs) 
So first I'd like to talk about Rurik Russ. Rurik Russ. Rurik Russ. Nice. <laughs> is this like Muscovite Russ? Uh, he, no, he was uh, Novgorod Russ in this case. Okay. Uh, Rurik Russ. Remember we were in Novgorod in Northwest Russia? Rurik Russ. Rurik Russ. Well, get this, right? In Novgorod, uh, where our Slavs are hanging out, essentially. Yeah. According to the Chronicle, the people of Nov- Novgorod got tr- tired of tribal warring. And in AD 862, they do the most epic piece of outsourcing I've ever heard of. Mm. They decide to outsource ruling them. So, <laughs> Wait, what? So they, what they do, apparently, and this is part of the really part of this history, <laughs> apparently fed up with bickering all the time. They went up to visit the Vikings, right. or Varangians, as they were known at that time or in this book. Yeah. Specifically a chap called Rurik of Rurik. the tribe of the Rus. Yeah. <laughs> and they say, and there's going to be a few quotes from the book, and this is a quote, our land is great and rich, but there is no order in it. Come to rule and reign over us. I could see that <laughs> happening. <laughs> really? I could, no, I could totally see that happening. You're telling me that you no, invite inviting In my Vikings. village, I would totally invite them in. <laughs> well, because the alternative is they're just going to come knock on your door and kick it in anyway. Well, apparently and if you're not up for fighting, arguing amongst themselves and they went, someone's got to rule us. Let's go find someone. I'm, I'm all for this. I think this is a great way forward. It seems spectacularly unlikely to me that they actually went out to somebody else and said, hey, do you want to come and rule us? Because we can't manage ourselves. <laughs> I don't know. I think that could easily have happened. Well, this is what the Chronicles is telling us. So, But this, of course, is where I was talking earlier about legitimacy, right? Mm. If it was Rurik Russ came in Not everyone's fighters, Pete. Not like you. I know right. you're like so aggressive and full of testosterone. Yeah, I do. I, I will take over a village. I will. <laughs> yeah. It's just me. I mean, both it's, your... I've got to be me, right? Your, your neighbours, <laughs> you've just taken over their house. Are they, are they cower every time I come in and watch TV? I'm like, fetch me meal! <laughs> they just leave you gifts on your doorstep. <laughs> I can see it. I could easily see me just being like, yeah. nah, it's not worth it. I'm not, I don't want the hassle. You do with it. You deal with all the nonsense, the rampaging hordes that keep not going to start. I'm just going to chill out. I'll pay you my money. I don't care. I'm, I'm surprised that you said that, but now I guess you are on the side of the Chronicle. I took this to be a, a severe evidence that they're trying to prove legitimacy. I'm surprised more people didn't do it. Do I just go to just the window? Can you rule can me, you just, Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm really, this isn't working out. <laughs> in all seriousness, I think it's great. Oh, hello. Rurik, is it? Bah. Oh, well, welcome to Novgorod. I'm Tony, and this here is Susan. Hello. Uh, and we're going to be conducting your interview today. So, do you have any questions before we start? Would you like a glass of water, perhaps? No, I am fine. Okay, so why don't we start, uh, and uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the role. Yes, it's good. So, basically, we're a bunch of villages, okay, mostly peasants. About 500 of us, wouldn't you say, Susan? Yes. And honestly, Rurik, we are hopeless. I mean, you'd think out of 500 people, there'd be someone who could take charge and lead us, but we're all just a bit rubbish, aren't we, Susan? We are. I mean, it's a bit embarrassing, really. We can't make a decision for Toffee, let alone protect ourselves. Hmm, interesting. So, we were thinking perhaps somebody else could, you know, come in and bring that specific skill set. Bah, me! Uh, well, let's see, shall we? So, with question one, given the challenge, what would you bring to the role? I rule many village. I never lose battle. Oh, very good. Very impressive. Many village. Write that down, Susan. Uh, And what would you say is your strength? My strength is my strength. I am very strong. My men, also strong. Okay, strength. Good, Susan. Write down strong. Uh, And weaknesses? I, I care too much. I invade village. Every man, woman, child, all must die. Even one lives, 
I angry. I see. Very good. Almost die. Write that down, Susan. Uh, okay. Any references? Uh, ask people of Rostov. Rostov? Aren't they all dead? Is reference. Oh, very good. Write that down, Susan. Uh, well, thank you for coming. You've given us lots to think about, and uh, we'll let you know in due course. No, I take now. Well, we do have a pros. No, I take now, or I kill everyone. Now, that's exactly the attitude we've been looking for, isn't it, Susan? Yes! Welcome on board, Rurik. You've got the job. Duh. Write that down, Susan. Well, so Rurik, it goes, well, yeah, all right. I'll come and rule you. Sure. Sounds like a good deal. So he brings his two brothers and he comes and he rules over the region of Novgorod. Wadwick uh, was? I didn't write their names down, actually. but uh, So that's it. Rurik comes and he rules in, in the area until 879. His his brothers are rule little local areas. Wandle was. <laughs> and, and Wobbin. Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> So this is the beginning of the Rus Empire, right? The Rus right. nation. Right, okay. So Rus, uh, there's a couple of versions of what So Rus they were invited in. Russia was established by people saying, come and... Exactly. And more importantly, wow. there are Slavs and there are Vikings, right? Vikings are an okay. ethnically different group. So this is, um, I'll, I'll talk about this now, actually. So this is a, quite a controversial thing in Russian history circles, because it's called, the, the for some reason, the Vikings are called Normans in this instance. Huh. But there's a Norman theory and a non-Norman theory. This is different to the Normans that I know of as in yeah, English history. Yeah, the sort of French, the French, yeah. So I, I don't know why it's called Norman, but what okay. it means is the Vi there is a theory that the Vikings came and this is Rurik Rus and the Rus and the people I'm about to tell you about are all essentially one Viking family. Okay. and uh, But in the Soviet Union, for example, it was an absolute no-no. This was considered to be an implication that Slavs couldn't rule themselves. It was undermining the Slav history. So when I say the equality of history, this this version of events was absolutely rejected, in, and it still is in some cases, because it is considered to be insulting to the, people, the Slavic people today. Okay. That's, uh, we can talk about more about that later. I don't want to get bogged down in it now, but it's... It, the so other, they dismiss this today? They say that actually what happened was the Slavs were doing fine. They've... At some, this guy may have come, there may have been yeah. a fight, he may have owned it for a bit or whatever, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, oh, thank you Vikings for coming and ruling us because we're hopelessly incompetent. I wonder what they think about Noah's Ark part. I think everyone's willing to give that one a pass. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's why there are lions and tigers and monkeys yeah, and all thanks, sorts Noah. in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, this is Rurik. Rurik. We don't know a huge amount about Rurik, partly because the Chronicler was really all about the Christian people and he was a pagan. He was Waskali. He was Waskali, Waskali Rurik Rus. Mm. <laughs> uh, but this is the first Rus of our Russian history. Yes. And to my advantage, Novgorod is today in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, really hope he has, wrong. I really hope he has a son <laughs> called Ian, because then it would be Russian. Uh, yeah. No, he doesn't have a son. Because it's like Russian. Ian. He does have a son, though. He has a son called Igor, in actual fact. Well, that's close to Ian. Yeah, it is. Not bad. But you get it, though, because it's like Rus and then Ian. And yeah. No, I got it. Russian. Yeah. Russian. We need to move on. But no, do you want to say it again? Well, Make it funny just, this time. No, I just felt like that was quite good. Okay, have another go. All right. What if though, right? So anyway, Oleg, uh, eight seven nine. <laughs> son was called Ian. <laughs> <laughs> and he was son of Russ. Yeah. Well done, Ryan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, Rurik has a son called Igor, but his son's really young when he dies. 
So okay. he appoints a guy called Oleg, oh, we're not sure, probably a relative, to rule in his place. Oleg and Igor. Right, so part two of Dynasty. Rurik. Halloween at their house must have been awesome. I know, right? These mm. are classic names. So so Rurik arrives, Rurik dies, hands over to Oleg to keep the reins until his son Igor comes of age. So Oleg does quite a good job. He expands the kingdom somewhat. And at this point, he brings in the city of Kiev. Okay. So this is the, the chicken things. Exactly. It's where they make the lovely garlicky chickens. Mm. Uh, and this is the beginning of what's known as Kievan Rus. So Rus being the kind of nation, in inverted commas, and it's based out of Kiev from this point. Okay. Now, do you remember I mentioned the Drevlians? Yeah. Yeah, they were one of the, one of the people in and around this area, one of the tribes. Yes. So Oleg also conquered them and required tribute from them. Makes sense. Yep. And he also attacks Constantinople even. He's, like, he's out and about. Okay. Um, he's the, get, he is getting about. He does, right? The Oleg, the probably the most interesting thing about Oleg is um, he's he was considered prophetic because at Constantinople they try and poison him when he's having a meal, I guess, with the enemy, like you do. Yeah. Uh, and he goes, "No, I can feel that it's poison," and he refuses to eat. Wow. And they're like, "Ooh, this guy knows what's He knows what, his right? stuff. But only up to a point. Okay. Uh, he's not always great at prophecy because uh, he is told by his people that his horse will kill him. Oh. Right. So the, the quote is, Oh, Prince, it is from the steed which you love and on which you ride that you shall meet your death. Damn. Right. Imagine telling the boss that. So what do you think he does? Uh, he starts riding women. <laughs> he gives up on the horses and says, I've heard this no, great thing. it was a specific thing. horse that he was being warned about. So what he does is he says, okay, well, look, look after my horse. He gets it to a horse person okay. and says, right, look after the horse, but keep it away from me. For sure, yeah. It's going to kill me, these guys say. So eventually he's, he goes on with his life, as you do, and he learns that his horse has died. Mm. He's like, yay, I win, stupid soothsayers. Stupid horse. Right? In fact, he says, quote, soothsayers tell untruth and their words are naught but falsehood. This horse is dead, but I'm still alive. Ha. I added the ha. The habit, yeah, yeah. I don't think they put that in. <laughs> So this is where it starts to go wrong. He decides he wants to see the bones of this poor animal. Okay. Uh, so he rides off to have a look at the bones. And he says, right, come on, bring the bones of the horse out. And he sees the bones and he has a good old laugh. And he goes, ha, ha, ha. I added that as well. Yeah. Um, so I was supposed to receive my death from this skull. And he stamped upon the skull with his foot. Oh, you idiot. Yeah, guess what happens next? Uh, it bit him. Quote, but a serpent crawled forth from it and bit him in the foot. So no. that in consequence, he sickened and died. That wasn't what I saw happening. I saw him getting like a bone splinter in his foot or something. Uh, well, not quite close and certainly prophetically satisfa satisfactory. But no, a snake was in the skull, comes out, yeah. bites him on the foot. Boom, he's dead. That 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 I don't believe. Um, I, hey, interesting fact. Did you know that um, lots of male horses die when they're trying to copulate with a female horse? Because female horse will kick them in the head and they die almost instantaneously they fall to the floor with their erect penis and die like that apparently that was a big problem back in the 1920s in like new york and the cities where like these horses just lying in the street where they'd been kicked in the head with a massive penis crumbs <laughs> i don't Carry know on. what to say to that as you were thank you for that input so i think the lesson is don't mess with prophecy kids yeah. So that was Oleg. That was Dynasty Part 2. Oleg, he's expanded the kingdom. I didn't see the snake coming. That was a surprise. Well, neither did Oleg. No. <laughs> that was the problem. And do you reckon he shouted, oh, my leg? Yeah, he was, I think he shouted, I immediately regret this. I should have left well enough alone. What an idiot. Yeah, but his name is Oleg. So he probably, and he got bit on the leg. So he was probably like, oh, 
leg. Oh, you're making a joke. Oh, my leg. Oh, my leg. Oh, you're being leg. very hard on me this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my leg. Oh, my See, leg. if you'd have said, oh, oh leg. Oh, leg. <laughs> Where, did been been much bitten, more with it. Where did you get bitten? Where did you get bitten, sire? Oh, leg. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. That's a good joke. That was a terrible joke. Okay. So, Dynasty, episode three, Igor. Young Igor, obviously, was the son of Zizik. Mm -hmm. And uh, Oleg was really just watching the house for him. He grows up uh, whilst Oleg's roaming around, and he marries a lovely young lady called Olga. Okay. Oleg and Olga? No, no. Igor, Igor and Olga. And Olga, whilst Oleg was out doing other things. <laughs> I don't know why you're not following this, right? <laughs> <laughs> Igor, Oleg and Olga are yeah. having their lives, right? <sighs> They're all one person now in my head. So Igor, he starts out kind of going, I'm going to be a bit like Oleg, right? He beats up the Derevlians again. Okay. Uh, he tries to extract even more tribute. He goes down to Constantinople as well, has another mm. fight with those guys. But then uh, things go quite badly wrong for him when he goes Greatest back hits. to the Derevlians. Yeah. Uh, and he says, I'm going to take the tribute that you're having annually. I want it twice. This is a mistake. I Even I know this. Well, let me now quote. The Derevlians heard that he was again approaching and consulted with Mal, their prince, saying, if a wolf come amongst the sheep, he will take away the whole flock one by one unless he be killed. If yeah. we do not thus kill him now, he will destroy us all. I mean, that makes sense. You can see their point, can't you? They didn't want to have to do it, did they? No, he doubled their rent, he essentially, an and uh, they decided to kill him. Yeah. So now I'm going to have to just skip briefly into a different book, because it doesn't... They kill him. Right, good. But uh, the Chronicle doesn't tell us how. We've got to go to a different book for that. Oh, okay, cool. The Byzantine historian, Spin Leo off. the Deacon. Leo the Deacon describes how Igor met his death. Tell me. Quote, they had bent down two birch trees to the prince's feet and tied them to his legs and oh, then they let no. the trees straighten oh, again no. thus tearing the prince's body apart oh good lord Ouch. what <laughs> right that is pretty brutal okay okay wait so he stood there or lying down he's probably lying down isn't he um, and they they bend the trees over so probably a few people each tree yeah i have to hoist the tree down bend tie your right legs to down, the tree and then on the command but <laughs> Ow. I don't think you'd even get a chance to wow, would uh, you? Like, no. That'd be quick, wouldn't it? Uh, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? <sighs> yeah, so that's Eagle. That actually happened as well, didn't it? Yeah, you, you yeah. Mean, don't mean that up, do you? <laughs> like, that happened to someone, even if it wasn't this dude, right? Yeah. So that was Eagle. That was tough in the old days, wasn't it? Right? Now, do you remember who Eagle was married to? Oleg. Olga. Very close. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand where you went to Oleg. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I was going for Lego at first. That was... <laughs> <laughs> well, now, finally, we're going to get to the topic of this podcast, which is equality. I thought we'd already got to equality. Oh, no. I'm going to give you equality now. Full on equality. Yeah. All right. Olga of Kiev. Yep. Now, you remember the women who have been treated as ponies? I do. Right. You'd think women would be like little wallflowers, wouldn't you? Uh, not in those days, no. No, but uh, even so, if they're willing to be wagoned around. Not Olga. Olga is hardcore. Is she? She is. Are you ready for this? Yeah, please. Let me tell you what Olga did next. What did she do? So You're her really husband died. <laughs> and the Drevlians think, do you know what? Now that this guy's dead, she'd make a brilliant bride for our Prince Mal. Because right. then if she marries Mal, Mal will own all of the other land and will rule the roost, basically. Cool. Right. So Olga decides, okay, let's see, let's 
deal with this. So the Drevians send 20 of their finest people to negotiate with our lass Olga and say, hey, do you want to marry Mal? And she says, your proposal is pleasing to me. Indeed, my husband cannot rise again from the dead. What are you going to do? She's like, all right, let's do it. Nice. And if he did rise from the dead, he'd be in two bits. So God knows how that works. Yeah. So uh, she says, right, hey, guys, she says, instead of uh, just go back to your boats, because obviously they drove over in the boats. Drive, uh, yeah. And come back tomorrow, but don't ride your horses or walk. I'm going to send some people over and we'll carry you in your boat into the town. Yeah, you see, this is where it all gets way too oddly specific mm-hmm. for me to be like, this is, <laughs> oh, sure, I will follow those instructions perfectly and oh, yes. expect nothing bad to happen. Well, in the night, she commands her people. They dig a very large pit outside her castle. Okay. So the next day, she sends the people. They pick up the Derevlian's boat. The Derevlian's are sitting in the boat going, this is nice. Mm. And the people are underneath carrying it going, oh, my God, this is going to be awful. We're going to yeah. be carrying people around in boats all the time. Uh, so they think, this sucks. Then they get to the pit and Olga says... Well, chuck them in the pit. Lob them in. Chuck them in the pit. Uh, and then she bends over. Uh, in fact, this is another quote. Olga bent over and inquired whether they found the honour to their taste. Mm. Uh, they, they don't love it, to be honest. They don't, which is fair enough, because then Olga buries them all alive. Oh, okay. So it was a big pit. Uh, big enough for a boat and 20 people. So if you were one of the pit diggers, I'm guessing you haven't got the full scope of why you're digging the pit late at night. You've just got the instruction, right? You've got grab you've a, got, grab you've a got spade. A blueprint, pit. I'm pretty size, guessing depth. you, and there's there's a few of you, right? So you've got the night shift. You're all down there digging away, going, "Do you reckon this is for like? I don't know, fire no pit, no could be a barbecue. Yeah, we don't know. Night? Like why would night? This is really odd. Something is afoot. This is almost big enough for a boat and twenty people, right? No, could she? <laughs> no. Surely not. But she is but a woman. She is a woman and a half, this one. So let me tell you, mate. She's a firebrand. She is a firebrand. 20 people are dead. The people have been buried alive. The boat is buried. She is not finished. So then Olga sends messages to the Derevlians to the effect that if they really want her presence, they should send after her their most distinguished men so that she might go to their prince with due honour. For otherwise, their people in Kiev will not let her go. So she's saying, "I'll I'll come to your town. If you send an escort of really important people to come with me, because without that escort, my people aren't going to let me go. Right. That doesn't now, sound true. No, no one at this point is asking, so those 20 guys we said. <laughs> <laughs> and why 20 to negotiate? I don't know. It's a lucky number. <laughs> I think one word each. But they, so, they, so no one's worried about these 20 guys, apparently. So they think, okay, fine. We'll send our noble people to escort this lady to the lovely marriage that we're going to have they were idiots well yeah but you know what you want after a long journey to visit olga you fancy a bath don't you i was gonna say lemonade Uh, and well (laughs) (laughs) that's the first thing that came away she gives them all a lemonade and then she says what else would you like and they say quite fancy a bath yeah that was the next thing (laughs) (laughs) so you know how nobody wants a cold bath uh yeah, yeah yeah so so olga makes sure they don't have a cold bath because when the nobles get into the bathhouse right men lock the door and they set the entire place on fire burning nice. everyone alive oh but they're in water well it's not that much water it's just a bath right all right okay <laughs> and they've burnt the building down so she kills everyone again right and these are the important people these are time. the second wave of people the important yeah. people uh she is not finished oh wow she's really annoyed at her husband being split enough. I told you she is hardcore, this woman, right? Olga sends a message to Igor the Igor and Twain. Says, sends a message to the Revlians. Right. 
This is another quote. I am now coming to you, so prepare great quantities of mead in the city where you killed my husband, that I may weep over his grave and hold a funeral feast for him. Uh, and then it, I've added this bit. Also, don't worry about all those other guys you sent. They're having a lovely time in Kiev and you're not going to see them. Just don't worry. We're giving them so many chicken breasts. <laughs> so Oleg Olga now travels to the Derevlian's hometown with a bunch of her pals. Uh, and she visits her husband's grave, has a little cry, hosts a funeral feast. Uh, and then they the, at the funeral feast, all of her retinue served the Derevlians. And everyone's having a lovely time. Okay. Actually, at this point now, they do say, so those other guys we sent, what's going mm. on there? Uh, so the Derevlians inquired of Olga where the retinue was, which they had sent to meet her. She replied that they were following with her husband's bodyguard. So nice. they're on their way. Don't worry about those guys. So good enough for us, they think. They get down with the drinking and the feasting. And uh, I feel like I'm, I'm a bit of a cursed person when it comes to feasting. If you recall, what happened the last time I had people at a feast was in oh, Uruguay. Fructuoso Riviera. Fructuoso, uh, everyone got drunk and they fell upon everyone and killed everyone. Well, mm. on this occasion, uh, everyone got drunk and Olga's men fell upon them and killed everyone, murdering 5,000 people. Wow. That's a lot of murdering. That's 5,000 more Derevlians down after the yeah. initial 20 and however many unspecified people in the bathhouse burnt to death. Fun fact, that's 5,000 more people than I've ever murdered. Good. That's hmm. good. I'm glad you didn't say 4,998. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I had. <laughs> so, let me tell you, Ryan. Okay. She's still not finished. <laughs> wow. <laughs> she goes home, she raises an army, and she attacks the Derevlians, like... She's just in the old-fashioned way, I yeah. suppose. Uh, she goes around town to town, beats them, destroys, uh, demands tribute when they surrender. But then she comes to the main city of the Derevlians called Iskarosten. Uh, and this is also the city where her husband was killed. Okay. She sieges this city for a year. Wow. She can't get in. So then she goes, right, okay, what am I going to do here? She, she, she sends the guys in the city a message. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a quote again. Why do you persist in holding out? All your cities have surrendered to me and submitted to tribute, and now the inhabitants cultivate their fields and their lands in peace. But you would rather die of hunger without submitting to tribute. Seems reasonable. Yeah, but then they say, they're not totally stupid, they say, yeah, but you're going to... Kill us all. Get, us all, get yeah. us all because of your husband, right? We know what you're like. We've seen mm. on three previous occasions what's gone on. We don't trust you. And yeah. She says, another quote, since I've already avenged the misfortune of my husband twice on the occasions when your messenger came to Kiev and a third time when I held a funeral feast for him, I do not desire further revenge, but I'm anxious to receive a small tribute. Okay. Your blood! So she, they're like, uh, all right, what's the, what's the tribute? What do you want? So she says, right, look, guys, I know you're all really broke because of all the sieging that's been going on and I've been out here for a year. All I ask is, quote, give me three pigeons, she said, and three sparrows from each house. I bet they didn't see that one coming. They were like, we don't have that many pigeons. No, no, they got, they're got they good for the pigeons and the sparrows. Every household has three pigeons and two sparrows. Well, pigeons, classy, isn't it? Keep pigeons, everyone keeps pigeons. Each household? Yeah. We're sending messages, I suppose. Right. Racing. And then sparrows just live in your eaves because there's this sort of thatchy kind of experience, isn't it? Mm. So anyway, they go, all right, sounds fair. So they put, I assume, in a gigantic box <laughs> all of the birds uh and they come out and they uh they say okay so thanks olga uh i guess we'll we'll surrender mm. here's your birds thanks and see you later so now <laughs> she goes thank you very much and she takes the box of birds and mm. she takes it to her army and she says uh well she didn't say so, so another quote now olga gave to each soldier in her army a pigeon or a sparrow 
and ordered them to attach by a thread to each pigeon and sparrow a piece of sulphur bound with small pieces of cloth. Right. Right. Yeah. So far, so this is getting a bit fishy. Okay. Well, when, it's getting birdie. Yes. When night fell, Olga bade her soldiers release the pigeons and the sparrows. So the pigeons saw it. So the birds flew to their nests, the pigeons to the coats and the sparrows under the eaves. So now all of these birds have then flown to every household in the town with a bit of right. sulfur and cloth attached to them. Super Because they're like homing birds. Yeah, because that's where they live. So then there was not a house that was not consumed and it was impossible to extinguish the flames because all the houses caught fire at once. How did, sorry, how did they catch fire? Sulfur is highly flammable, so any kind of spark, anything, poof, it's going up. Okay. So, so basically, did the birds die? Well, yeah, they would definitely have died. Well, that seems unfair. So the entire city or town is immediately set on fire with these bird bombs. It's basically. a conflagration, Pete. It is. Uh, and, and anyone who tried to escape, she killed them as well. Yeah, well, yeah. So at that point, you might as well. Now she's finished. <laughs> oh, she is done now. Is she? She's done now. So where does she go? She goes home. Revenge. So she she rules for a while. That but was a woman scorned, wasn't it? She was a hardcore lady. What did yeah. I tell you? I like it. That's a film. Oh. I want to see the film of that. It's definitely some things, and uh, I'll tell you what it is. So now she's finished. So she continues to rule, but actually, even though she's as badass as she is, she's she's still only ruling as regent. So she's ruling her and her husband Igor hmm. had a child, a son. So she's still only a regent. She's not actually a queen. So she's ruling in place of the son until he comes of age. Okay, gotcha. She does at one point uh, go to Byzantium and Constantine the Seventh of Byzantium wanted to marry her. Oh. And she wanted to get out of it. And again, this is a... It's, the problem of a woman ruler is if you marry, the man is then in charge because of the, mm. the way things were in that time. I mean... Just as Elizabeth I was the, the maiden queen... She couldn't marry because as soon as she had a husband, she wouldn't be the queen in that the same sense anymore. anymore. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> a sexy, passionate woman though, eh? Ever, ever cunning, Olga thinks of a way around this, right? So Constantine says, I want to marry you. So she goes, well, the problem is I can't marry you because I'm a pagan. I need uh, to be baptized in order to marry you. Right. So she doesn't say no. She mm -hmm. goes, oh, I'd love to. That'd be awesome. But I can't because I'm a pagan. Yeah. So Constantine says, that's, well, that's I'll the excuse you, I've had. Right? Yeah. So Constantine, I'll baptize you. That'd be brilliant. So he baptizes her and then he says, So what about marrying, eh? And then she replies, By baptizing me, you are as my father and you have called me daughter. Christians are not allowed to marry their daughters. Boom. Clever. Right? And in fairness to Constantine, he says, Oh, you got me there. And gives her a load of gold and stuff to say, Oh, yeah, fair enough. You got me. Oh, you win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he was he was stung, wasn't he? So then this this makes her the first Christian in the Rus kingdom, right? Just to get out of being married. Well, um, I think the she's maybe wanted to get become a Christian anyway. I don't know. The This is a woman who has plans. Properly she probably right? there was probably some so sort she, of Yeah, she goes she goes home though and she tries to convert her son as well. Son's a guy called Sviatoslav, which is hard to say. Mm. Um so she doesn't just become a Christian just for this trick. She becomes a Christian and uh, tries to spread the Christianity. So it's quite legitimate, her Christianity, but it also is a handy illustration of her cunning in avoiding falling into the trap of an, in an unequal world, having a husband who would then shadow her as a ruler. Okay. So she goes back. She tries to convert her son to Christianity, but he won't do it. But he does say, all right, I won't persecute Christians, which is 
pretty good news if you're if you're christian area, as a christian yeah <laughs> yeah uh she eventually dies in the year 969 so right at the end of our period i'm ending at a thousand okay. but i'm going to nice. end with olga because she is she's an amazing woman and you've got to love her right you have a look in your eye when you talk about honestly olga. how do you not love someone this amazing right uh her grandchild though her grandson specifically does convert to christianity uh, a guy called vladimir obviously mm-hmm. Uh, he adopted Christianity in 988 AD, and that is the beginning of Christianity in that area. So if you fast forward 600 years, because of this, the church names Olga, mm. Olga the burn people alive, bury people yeah. alive, kill everyone, birds, set people. fire to birds, Olga. Mm. She becomes a saint. Really? Saint Olga? Yeah, Saint Olga. And this is this is what I'm going to end on. This is also... Uh, in association with an honorific called Isapostolos. So she is Olga Isapostolos, which translated means equal to the apostles. Wow. Equality finally arrived. Nice. That's really good. So again, anyway, you can murder loads of people, burn people to death, but you can still be a saint as long as you build a few churches. And you can also have an album made about you by a French death metal band. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, there's a band called Gorod that produced a band, uh, an album called A Perfect Absolution. Right. which is the whole album is basically about Olga. Olga. Nice. It includes tracks such as Sailing Into the Earth. Right. <laughs> Let's play a bit of that now. Awesome. Uh, 5,000 at the funeral. Let's play that. Birds of Sulphur. Birds of Sulphur is a great <laughs> name. I could right. probably have come up with Birds of Sulphur for a, for a song. So that is um, the life of Olga. I really, the whole thing was all around. I wanted to get to the life of Olga because that is an incredible Do we know what Olga is the saint of? Yeah, she's the saint of widows and... That makes sense. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. And burning birds. <laughs> there was, I think a lot of, they, they were, there was one other main thing, but uh, widows was the one that stuck <laughs> with me, unsurprisingly. <laughs> She's like, of all the things I did, you pick widows. That was amazing. Yeah, so is any of it true? You know, I'm sure Olga existed. I'm sure some elements of that were true. Uh, how true it was, I don't know. But again, it was about establishing this line of legitimacy of the Rus and the Christianity Uh so, I mean, it's a good story and there is no uh, other books to challenge it. So. Right, so I'm just going to say it was true. There you go. And I think that as the co-host, the main host, let's just say it, of <laughs> History Happened Everywhere, <laughs> I get to validate what history happened. Okay. And that was, that is, oh, Sorry. cheers. <laughs> <laughs> you celebrated yourself. <laughs> I get to validate what history happened and that is history. So... Well done, Olga. Olga of Kiev. For what being an amazing a murderer. Woman. Amazing murdering woman. So 
So what happened to these yoke women? How come that didn't take off? I can only imagine it was both inefficient, ineffective and irksome for everyone. Fair enough. I think you don't get many miles to the gallon with five women. Ten women? I'm not sure the addition of women is the solution to the problem. (laughs) Fifty women. I'm slightly worried by the degree to which you're homing in on the how many women do I need to pull my vehicle problem rather than the equality problem. Do you know what I'm actually homing in on is there was an episode of History Happened Everywhere many moons ago where you made a comment which you said where there was you said you'd wager that with any form of transport, there would be people willing to race them. Do you remember saying that? It was I do our, remember it saying was that. It was in our UAE. UAE yeah. yeah, I absolutely remember that. And I stand by it. So and you if, think... If there are people <laughs> with wagons being pulled by teams of females, yeah. I believe there would be female wagon pulling races for sure. Yeah. Does, uh, does that make it any better for you? No, worse okay, if right. anything. Yeah, no, me too. Me too. Totally. <laughs> I'm not saying Sky wouldn't buy the rights. <laughs> I mean, I, and I wouldn't bet on it, but it's terrible. Terrible. No, of course it's awful. Right, Pete, well done. Congratulations again. Thank Give me a high five. High five. Nice. That was good. You know what time it is? <gasps> is it? Yeah. There's a later time. Yeah, but do you know why, this, why I'm excited about this one? I do not. Cause, well, one, it's because I'm doing the next one. That's a good reason to be excited. Yeah. But the next one, it's a special one. Oh, it's Easter, isn't it? It's our Easter special. Oh, good point. And not only that, it's our 25th episode. It is, 25th, 25 episodes. 25 episodes and an Easter episode all wrapped up in one. That's a lot of pressure on my shoulders, Pete. Quarter century Easter has to be possibly the best episode ever, if not better than that. Mm. Well, I'm going to hit the Durzema later. And this time, the subject, the topic, is going to be Easter. Yeah, that's I think that's fair. what we do. It's what I we did. Think, with, yeah, it's we what did we did with Christmas. Christmas. Didn't we? Yeah. So uh, I mean, we saw his birth, and now we shall see the death and rebirth and rebirth. Yes, that, which is Famously. the main point of Easter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be yeah. a much gloomier festival than yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd see today. Okay, let's hit the doors later. So it's, um, the engine is running. I've uh, got my foot on the gas. I'm in gear. That, that valve isn't open, Ryan. You're going to overheat. You're going to oh, overheat. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, yep, yep, yep. No, sorry, I know how to ride the Durs later. So it's all good. It's in It's in safe hands, Pete. Okay. I just worry that you, you overprime the, the thruster pump. Okay. So here we go. Right. Uh, and my country is... Kazakhstan. Classic Easter country. Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan egg. Right? Everyone loves a Kazakhstan egg. <laughs> Everyone loves a Cadbury's Kazakhstan egg. You can't do Borat. You know that. That's He's not really from Kazakhstan. You see, now I'm going to have to rethink. That was, <laughs> that was what I was thinking of doing. No. Uh, Kazakhstan. Okay, fine. You know, there's going to be loads of Easter stuff in Kazakhstan. It's European, so there's that. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, let's find out the time, I guess. That's the next worry. Last Thursday. Kazakhstan. Why is it always hard for me? Life is hard, Ryan. Okay, here we go. And the time is... Okay, uh, the Protestant Reformation, which is 1517 to 1648. Oh, that's... that's. I mean, feels okay. I don't just know. Just over 100 years, 130 years. Yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, it sounds... Christiany. What I love about this show is every time we do this, we either go, oh, that's going to be really easy or, oh, I don't know. 
And we are never right. No, never right. <laughs> never right at all. We always come back the next week and go, ah, it turned out to be super easier than I was expecting. Yeah. Or, oh, I, wow, there was, was nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, how much was written down in Kazakhstan between 1517 and 1648? We'll find out. How much of that about Easter? We shall also find out. Uh, obviously, we're not going to run the, uh, the, the, the days later for the subject because it is Easter. Easter. So Kazakhstan, 1517 to 1648. And the subject of Easter. Good luck. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's our show for this week. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about in this episode, we can be found on our Twitter account, which is at HHEpodcast. Or you can email us at HHEpodcast at gmail.com. And you never know, uh, get in touch. You might end up featured on a future show. Now, if you really want to be featured on a future show, well, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and we will share with the world what you have to say. In the meantime, you can find and join discussions about the show on Facebook and Reddit. So make sure to subscribe to those uh, as well as Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn, where a hit of History Happened Everywhere will magically appear in your feed every day. Yeah, and uh, I guess we're going to be back again um yeah, very soon with another episode our easter special uh but in the meantime look out for the verdict the verdict the verdict um our it's our after show podcast which if you haven't listened to it it's well worth a listen um we have our uh, <laughs> judge and jury mr paul dursley who joins us uh to judge grade and basically ridicule us every week um, about uh, all the things that we've said. If that's not enough, we have a growing archive of old shows, which you can download and listen to whenever you want. You can find those on YouTube, your podcast provider, or at hhepodcast.com. Yeah, that's exactly right. Pete, I just want to say again, well done, man. That was awesome. Thank you. Here's to Olga. Olga. To Olga. To Olga. You've been listening to... History happened everywhere. Hey, Pete. Hey, Ryan. Uh, look, I'm a bit worried. Oh, what does that mean? Well, you know, we talked about that prophecy, you know, where that guy was told that his horse would kill him and then, you know, it did. Well, it got me thinking and... So I went out and got my own prophecy. Oh, really? What, down at the prophecy place on the high street? Yeah, yeah, highly profitable. So what did they say? Well, here's the thing. They said, Beware, for thou will meet thine end through the letters P and G. Well, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. But the only thing I can think of with a P and a G is you, Pete Goddard. And honestly, now I'm a bit nervous to be around you. You know, I I don't even think we can podcast anymore. You know, something might happen to me. Oh, come on, man. You're being silly. Look, there's loads of things that begin with P and G, and you can't avoid all of them. Like what? Like uh, pineapple growing. Yeah, yeah, I do want to grow a pineapple. Or pipe glue. Yeah. What if my pipe breaks? Parrot grooming. Yeah, the pet shop definitely needs me. Uh, Potato guns. The power grid. Oh, uh, pretty girls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't do without a potato gun. Exactly. The point of the story is, anyway, that you can't avoid the prophecy, so you might as well just get on with your life and stop worrying. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? You're right. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about this. Yeah, I feel better about, you know, being around you now. That's great. I'm glad you're feeling better, mate. Cool. I am going to kill you. Sorry, what was that? Nothing, nothing. I am. What? Nothing, mate. I didn't hear anything. I thought you said something. No.